disciples were not able to deal with the situation, so they got no success. So he brought him to Jesus, told the situation that his son um, cast himself into the fire and uh, was uncontrollable. And he said to this to Jesus, uh, Mark 9, 22, he said, Jesus, if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. If you can do anything, I mean, you ever had a situation, looked impossible, affecting your life, and you brought that situation to Jesus. And so the man knew the disciples, they weren't getting any results, so I brought him to Jesus. And he said, Lord, and if you can do anything, if you can do anything, have compassion have compassion on us, and help us. And then Jesus said in Mark 9, 23, classic verse here, he said, if you can believe, if you can believe, if you can believe, if you can believe. If you can believe what? All things are possible to him that believes. So you know that's not really just some sort of a nice little saying because sometimes when you're faced with a situation like that, uh, there's a fight to believe in. I said there's a struggle to believe. It's not like the easiest thing you're going to do because you've struggled with that situation a long time. So the Lord said to him, if you can believe. Now, if you know the setting of this, other translations pointed out real simple, like, like uh, he said, Lord, if you can do anything, have compassion and help us. In other words, he's basically saying, Lord, if you really loved us, Lord, if you really love me, you would do something about this. Now, how many ever had that conversation with the Lord? And maybe you didn't have the conversation, but you were thought it. Lord, if you really love me, like they say you love me, come on. Like the Bible says you love me, and I've got this need, difficult situation that's disrupting my life. Come on. Lord, if you can do something, have compassion. Help me. So one translation points out when he said, Lord, if you can do anything, Jesus turned around and said, if you can believe. So one translation, you can see this man's kind of putting the, the bee, so to speak, on Jesus. Lord, it's up to you. I need you to do something about this. Now, how many ever told the Lord that? Lord, I need you to do something about this. So he's kind of just looking at Jesus and said, Lord, I need you to do something about this. You. I'm talking to you. I need you to do something about this. I've had other people try and it ain't working. But I need you to do something about this. And Jesus turned around and said, well, I need you to do something. All right, well, let's try this out over here. Come on. Come on. A lot of times we're telling the Lord what we need him to do. 
And the Lord just said, I need you to do something. Right? He said, so other translations say it's not a question of if I can do anything. It's a question if you can believe. Come on. So that means there's going to be a fight going on in this arena because the devil don't want you to receive nothing from Jesus. First of all, not only does your situation turn around, but you become a testimony to people in your family of the goodness and the power of God. So he said, it's not a question of if I can do anything. The question is if you can believe. Because if you can believe, all things are possible. All right, I don't know, man. I'll tell you, come on now. How many believe Jesus is talking to us right now? Come on. How many believe he's talking to you right now? Come on, because you've been facing a situation that hadn't changed, and it's been that way for years. And you're saying, Lord, if you love me, I need you to do something about this. And Jesus told me to tell you he needs you to do something about it. Because if you do your part, he'll sure enough do his part. Lord. I believe. <laughs> Woo, Jesus said, that's just what I was looking for right there. Lord, I believe. Or you could say my faith is in the Lord or my faith is in God. In other words, I identify who Jesus is, that he is Lord. There's nothing beyond the range of his ability. He is Lord. He's the almighty God. Lord, I believe. Let's try that. Lord. I believe. What's the next part? Help. Anybody need any help today? Help. Help my unbelief. Or help me get rid of unbelief. Come on, you live in a world of... of um, Great information, but a lot of criticism, a lot of skeptics, a lot of doubt, a lot of limitations. But when it comes to Jesus, when you say, Lord, I believe, Lord, help me, get rid of unbelief. Our Smith Wigglesworth said it this way. He said, unbelief robs us of God's best blessing. Our unbelief is the thief of God's best blessings. And I guarantee you the devil's trying to steal something from you right now. All right, let's try that again. I say I guarantee you the devil's trying to steal something from you right now. Come on, something that God's given to you, something that belongs to you, something Christ has done for you, or something about the plan of God for your future, and the devil's trying to limit that, stop that, or steal that from you. But if you'll keep the switch of faith turned on, I said if you'll turn on the switch of faith and keep the switch of faith turned on, whoo, come on, it keeps the door of the supernatural open. Lord, I believe, help me. Get rid of unbelief. How many believe he can help you get rid of it? In other words, unbelief is not a permanent thing. You can actually get rid of it. Come on, I said you can get rid of it. Help me get rid of unbelief. 
And when he said, Lord, I believe, help me get rid of unbelief, might as well just be honest. Let's try that again. I said, you might as well just be honest. Lord, help me or forgive me. Come on, for the limitations that I've put upon you and upon your word. Help me remove those limitations. Praise the Lord. (laughs) Come on, because once the Lord gets involved, it doesn't matter what man or what human or anybody, nobody can block your blessing once the Lord gets involved. Lord, I believe. Help me get rid of unbelief. And that's apparently all Jesus needed him to say. Because the moment he said, Lord, I believe, help me get rid of unbelief, Jesus said, that's it. That's all I need from you right now. And he walked across that declaration of, Lord, I believe, and he spoke to the devil that was in that boy, and immediately that boy was healed. Jesus is getting ready to walk across, come on, that confession of your faith and deal with that situation supernaturally. The moment you say, Lord, I believe, Lord, help me. Get rid of unbelief. How many believe the Lord's helping you right now? I said he's helping you right now. Remove doubt and fear and anxiety and worry. Lord, I believe. Thank you, Lord, for helping me. I'm glad I came to church already. I'm glad I came already. I'm getting rid of doubt. I'm getting rid of worry. I'm getting rid of anxiety. Lord, I believe. I expect a miracle. I expect the supernatural. Well, you ought to shout already. Hallelujah. That's just... Lord, I believe. Ha, ha, ha. Come on. That situation in your family. Come on, that situation in your family. That situation in your children. That situation in your body. That situation in your finances. Come on, in every situation. Lord, I believe. Lord, I believe. Lord, I believe. Lord, I believe. Help me get rid of unbelief. Woo! Ha, ha, ha. Now let me give you just a little bit of scripture on how detrimental unbelief is. How detrimental, how limiting. Leaves you stuck in a situation. How detrimental. (laughs) I, I love it in... The gospel of Mark, of course, is the best gospel. (laughs) In Mark 16, and I think it's verse 14, after Jesus is raised from the dead, and I read this years ago, and I thought, now that's interesting, Mark 16, verse 14. And uh, I don't know, you can put it up in the King James Version if you want to. Praise the Lord. Mark 16, 14. Praise the Lord. That's (laughs) M-A-R-K. Write your check. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) M-A-R-K. Mark 16, 14. You can't put the whole verse up there? All right, well, let me just read it. It says, uh, Jesus, after he's raised from the dead. I mean, you just got like the last two sentences. Just look up every now and then. There you go. Now, <laughs> look at this. This is the only part you need to see. After Jesus raised from the dead, he met with the disciples. And while they're eating, they're fixing to get indigestion. 
They're like, boy, this is good. This is good. Then Jesus says, I'd like to say something while you're eating. And it says, and he upbraided them because of their unbelief and hardness of heart. Now, the word upbraided is a very interesting word there because you'd think after Jesus raised from the dead, he's meeting with the disciples, you know. You'd think that, that he'd like, you know, give them a hug, comfort them. They've been through a traumatic time, you know, three years of following him. He's crucified. Come on, they don't know what's going to happen. They don't believe nothing he said about being raised from the dead. He told them over and over. There wasn't even a welcome back Jesus party waiting at the tomb. And Jesus appears to be a little ticked off about it. Least you could have had was a banner or something when I come out of the tomb. Somebody could blow a, a few whistles or something. But when Jesus raised from the dead, <laughs> they said the disciples didn't even believe. So Jesus upbraided them because of their unbelief. And he connected that to the hardness of their heart. So he says, he upbraided them. So what's a good, some other translations it says here for, for their unbelief. Some other translations say this. Uh, he took them to task most severely. I mean, you'd think he would just comfort them. I know y'all been through a rough time. You know, I know it's been rough. I know, I know, and you, I raised from the dead. I know it's been rough on y'all, right? Let's just all have a group hug because I know. Instead, Jesus does what? Y'all heard of Jesus, right? We're talking about him? Jesus does what? He took them to task most severely for their stubborn unbelief. He took them to task. He upbraided them. That means he's a little frustrated about it. Now, I know most people don't really want to talk about this side of Jesus. You know, they want to talk about Jesus, you know, just give them a hug and they're going through a tough time. Here, Jesus took them to task. Hmm, let's see what another translation says. He corrected them for having such Hard, unbelieving hearts because they did not believe. Another translation says he reproved and reproached them for their unbelief and their lack of faith and their hardness of heart because they refused to believe. Another translation says he scolded them because they did not have faith and they were too stubborn to believe. Oh, we want to follow Jesus. Y'all want to follow Jesus? Y'all still won't follow Jesus? Uh, some people quit right at this point. They're like, I've had enough to eat and I'm leaving. Now, Jesus corrected them for having such hard, unbelieving hearts because they did not believe. Another one says he reproached them for their lack of trust and their spiritual insensitivity and not believing. Hmm. So I just looked up the word upbraided in the dictionary. You know what it says? Don't act like this has never happened to you. Come on, if you had a good mom or daddy. Y'all ever been upbraided? Here's what it says. Upbraided, synonyms. To reprimand, rebuke, reproach, scold, admonish, reprove, remonstrate, chastise, chide, berate, take to task, pull him up, castigate, lambast, read someone the riot act. 
give someone a piece of their mind. Criticize, <laughs> to criticize severely, to reproach severely. <laughs> Woo! <laughs> Imagine Jesus, come on now. And you're like, I've been, through, I've been going through a tough time here. And he starts to deal with you about your unbelief. Woo, come on. How many of you ever had to just repent and say, Lord, that's, that's something I've got to repent over right now. Forgive me for my unbelief. Every time you worry, come on, every time you complain, come on, every time you start looking at circumstances, you might as well repent and say, Lord, come on, Jesus waiting on it. He will come and talk to you. So when he reprimanded them for their unbelief, scolded them, took them to task. There's something I need to talk to you about. Oh, well, we, you know, we would say, well, I'm sure the Lord would just kind of let that go. He loves us so much, he's just going to let it go. How many know loving somebody and letting something like that go ain't going to help them? Come on, you got kids. Letting things go ain't necessarily the best way to deal with some of their situations. Come on, sometimes they come home and you say, I need to talk to you right now. And I'm fixing to take you to task over your attitude and the way you've been acting. I'm your daddy, I ain't your buddy. Now, if you've never had it, I've had those conversations with my son and my daughter. And they're both doing real well today, but we had it a few times. And so sometimes Jesus say, I need to talk to you about something. Why did you doubt? I mean, think about Peter walking on the water, the only one that got out of the boat. The only one that got out of the boat. <laughs> and while he's walking, come on, he gets distracted, sees the circumstances, and what happened? He began to sink. Come on. And then he prays one of those dignified prayers. What? Jesus, help me. <laughs> How many of y'all ever learned one of those kind of prayers? Jesus, help me. I just need help right now. And Jesus come back, grabbed him, pulled him back up. And then Jesus asked him what? Why did you? Doubt. I mean, you know, he's out there walking on the water, storm begins to sink, and none of the other disciples even, even got out of the boat. You'd want to turn to him and say, well, at least I got out of the boat. These guys sitting over here, talk to them. Leave me alone for a moment. How many ever wanted the Lord to talk to somebody else? But he's talking to you today. Come on, he's talking to you. Why did you doubt? Come on, because the supernatural will operate in your life, and you started out walking on the water, and you can finish up walking on the water if you'll continue to believe God. Lord, I believe. And some of you are starting to sink right now. Your situation is sinking right now. And you say, Lord, help me. And the Lord said, why are you doubting? I want to talk to you about your unbelief. Come on and say, Lord, forgive me for unbelief. Boy, I'm getting rid of unbelief right now. I said, I'm getting rid of it. Amen. I'm getting rid of it. 
And you can see some of the causes for it right there in Matthew 14 where Peter's walking on the water. Some of the causes for unbelief is Jesus told him to walk on the water and then Peter got to looking at what? He's looking at circumstances. Smith Wigglesworth said, no man looks at appearances if he believes God. He said, I'm not moved by what I see. I'm not moved by what I feel. I'm moved only by what I believe, and I believe God. No man focuses on appearances of the way things look, for we walk by faith and not by sight, not by feelings, not by circumstances. We walk and we live by faith. Andrew Murray said, faith is the chief occupation of your life. Let's try that again. I said, living by faith is the chief occupation of your life. Whatever else you do in your work, in your job, living by faith is your number one occupation. That's what God calls you to do, and you're a professional at living by faith. Hallelujah. Well, we've had our own airplane for years, and and, uh, so that's how. Alexandra's a pilot, and so she flew with us to Nashville. And, and uh, so, you know, reading articles, learning about aviation, you know, our pilots, it costs us thousands and thousands of dollars to send a pilot in for recurrent training. Thousands of dollars. You really don't want a discount on that. Come on, that guy may have been flying for 30 years and it still costs you $10,000 or $15,000 to send him in to be to typed in recurrent training. So going through all this, I mean, you got a lot of money invested. So going through all this, I was studying about it and they said this, a pilot that is not instrument rated can only last for 90 seconds without visual reference. In other words, you send your pilot to training so that he becomes instrument rated. What does that mean? That means he ain't flying by the seat of his pants. He ain't looking out the window to fly how he's going (laughs) to. He ain't saying, well, I feel like we're going this way today. So to become instrument rated means he trusts his instruments more than his feelings. Because if he's not instrument rated, he only has 90 seconds before his feelings will lie to him. You know, your feelings are just not as smart as you think they are. All right, let's try this out. I said your feelings are not as smart as you think they are. So if he's not instrument rated, he only has 90 seconds, 90 seconds. So that's happened with a number of pilots is they may be flying, they're not instrument rated, and if they get into fog or if they get into clouds, they must get out of that fog or out of those clouds within 90 seconds or their feelings won't know if they're going left, right, up, or down. And many of them in the middle of that 90 seconds make a radical change to try and they'll crash because they're not instrument rated. Now, we got a lot of good Christians that just never have been instrument rated. 
Let's try that again. I said, we got a lot of Christians, or some have not apparently taken recurrent training in a while. All right, let's try. I said, some of you hadn't taken your training in a while. Because you started off, come on now, living by faith. I mean, you started off walking by faith and not by sight. And then in the middle of that situation, you got back over into the natural. Come on, there's a fight going on right now for your life, for your future, for the will of God, for the blessing of God for your life. There's a fight. It's a fight of faith. And to hold that situation in the arena of faith, you must be instrument rated. You must trust your instrument. Y'all still here? Trust the instruments that they're right and your feelings are not right. So you got to get the word of God out in front of you and say, that's what the word says. That's exactly what I believe. Come on in. I'm going to fly according to my instruments of what the word says, and I'm going to make it through this storm. I'm going to make it through the fog. I'm going to make it through this situation. I'm going to receive God's best blessing. Lord, I believe. Help me get rid of unbelief. Come on, y'all, just pray for your own head right now. Say, Lord, help me get rid of unbelief. Come on, every act of unbelief, every attitude of unbelief, help me get rid of unbelief. I believe God. I believe the Word of God. I believe God. It shall be as he told me. Don't look like it right now, but I have faith in God. God is on my side. Come on, I believe. Woo! So go ahead and get up in the morning, come on, and go ahead and get your coffee and do what you want to do. Do that for an hour. Do it for two hours. Do it three hours. Go ahead and miss a whole day. I said, go ahead and miss a whole day of reading your Bible. Miss a whole day, come on, of praising the Lord. Miss a whole day of speaking the Word. Woo, you've already passed your 90 seconds. I said, you already passed your 90 seconds. So don't be surprised the results you get. Come on, you got 90 seconds. Because when you're instrument rated, you know you have to look at the word. You have to feed on the word. You have to speak the word. You have to praise God no matter how you feel or how things look. Come on, your feelings don't dominate you. Come on, Wigglesworth said it this way. No man was ever saved who had to feel saved first. Let's try this out over here. No man was ever saved who had to feel saved first. No, you believe first. I said you believe first, then the feelings will follow. How do you believe? I believe the word of God. Jesus is my Lord. I may not feel forgiven, but the blood of Jesus cleanses me from all sin and removes the guilt and stain of sin. So I have faith in the blood of Jesus, and I'm righteous now. I'm clean now. I'm blessed now. I believe. I believe, Lord, help me. Get rid of unbelief. Come on, there's a stretch of water you're going to have to walk on to get to the will of God for your life. I said, there's a stretch of water you're going to have to walk on to get to the will of God for your life. There's a stretch of water you'll have to walk on to receive God's best blessing. 
Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Come on, at the end of this week, I want you to come and say, I'm instrument ready now. I got, I got my recurrent training. I went back. I know, I know I've been in this for 30 years, but I needed some recurrent training. Hallelujah. You ought to get happy right now. Praise the Lord. Just imagine what's happening right now when you get rid of unbelief. Get rid of doubt. Get rid of fear. Come on, get rid of shame and say, Lord, I believe. Because when you're dealing with unbelief, you are dealing with the most detrimental thing in your walk with God. When you're dealing with unbelief, you need to know you're dealing directly with the devil. All right, well, let's just try this out. I said, don't act like unbelief is some minor thing, you know. No, it will destroy your life, rob you of the blessings of God. So when you're dealing with doubts, come on, and feelings and all kinds of unbelief, you need to resist doubt just like you resist the devil. Treat doubt like it is the devil. Come on, any thought that challenges the Word of God, any thought that challenges what Christ has done for you and who you are in Christ, deal with that just like you're dealing with the devil. Woo! You ought to just say it sometimes. I resist that doubt right now in the name of Jesus. Even when you're tithing or when you're sowing and when you're giving, how many little doubt comes out? There went that money. One of the preacher got some new shoes. Listen. Come on, I teach a lot on that, faith in God, faith in the Word, and area of finances. My daddy taught us to tithe and taught us to give. I decided to go ahead and test the limits of it. But when I did, doubt, fear, you call that giver's remorse. Don't y'all act so holy because you ain't never given nothing if you never went home and I hope I didn't get too carried away. Listen, so you saw it, you're giving generously, and you get home, and immediately the devil just hit me right in the head. And he said, what you going to do if all that giving don't work? And I went, oh, my God. How many ever thought, I, if all that tithing and giving don't work, what you going to do? And the Lord spoke to me and said, you resist the devil. You say, devil, what you going to do when it does work? Why are you trying to get me into doubt and fear? I believe, God, what you mean when it don't work? What you going to do when it does work? When the windows of heaven are open and God pours out a blessing, I don't have room enough to receive it. When he multiplies my seed zone, what you going to do, devil, when I'm blessed coming in and blessed going out and I'm the head and not the tail? What you going to do when I tell all my friends that faith in God works? Ha-ha! What you going to do when I'm flying around my own jet? Come on, people don't mind you doing the giving. They just get mad when you start receiving. <laughs> Sit back down. I got I to gotta try to close this first session. Jesus. Come on, don't act like 
like you don't know nothing about faith. I said, you know something about faith, but you just don't know as much as you ought to know. I always tell this story about my grandson, Gavin, because we got eight grandkids. We have a swimming pool in our backyard, so I make sure all the grandkids know how to swim. And I pay for professionals to teach them how to swim. Then I watch them in the pool to see how they swim, right? Because I want my kids to never wonder if they fall in a swimming pool somewhere or in a lake, whether they're going to be able to make it. So swimming does not come automatic. In case you don't believe that, I'll throw some of y'all in somewhere. We'll just see if y'all, <laughs> see, if you, see if by instinct you can get it. Like. No, you'll be a sinker. That's what you'll be. How many know that faith does not come automatic? So Gavin, giving him lessons, <laughs> eight of them, come to Gavin. So he got to be two or three years old. So I said, now take him to lessons because we got a fence around the pool. Sometimes people distracted. And so I said, now I'm going to make sure he can swim. So they took him to some lessons in Lafayette. And then uh, I get in the pool with him and see how he can do. Well, he took lessons for about two or three weeks. And then he came back. And he's doing all right, but I noticed he stayed in the shallow end. He'd be swimming. Look, Poppy. Look, Poppy. Right? I'm watching. And I noticed every once in a while he had his feet down there. Look, Poppy. Look, Poppy. So, uh, so one day, grandkids came over, and I'm out there with my son-in-law, Caleb, Gavin's daddy. So I'm standing out by the deep end, just happened to be by the deep end, right by the diving board. Here comes Gavin. He's Poppy. I can swim. I can swim. Oh, Poppy. I I said, I'm real happy for you. Then his daddy, to be an encourager, he says, oh, that's right, Poppy. That Gavin, he can swim. Well, I've been watching him. So they just wanted to stay positive. Well, I, I appreciate being positive. But you can drown positive. So I was just standing there at the deep end. So his daddy's bragging on him. He's bragging on himself. So I just grabbed him like that. I threw him right in the deep end, just like that. Before anybody could say anything, I just went, show Poppy how you can swim. I put him in. So he just, he just started sinking. He's just going down. He's down. He's going down. Now, while he was going down, he was making swimming motions. But he's still sinking. You see, a lot of people are making faith motions. Let's try that. I said, a lot of people are making their faith motions. Uh, I said, a lot of people make their faith motions, mostly on Sunday. But a lot of people make their faith motions. Come on, but nothing's changing. They're still sinking. So I turned to Gavin's daddy, my son-in-law. I said, if I was you, I'd jump in there and save him. <laughs> He had all his clothes on and everything. He, he, I said, give me a cell phone. I got a cell phone for your wallet. He jumped in. Gavin's going down. He pulls him up. And when he got him up, I look at him and said, now you look at me. I told you he can't swim. So don't argue with me about it. Now you take him back to lessons until he can swim. Not in the shallow end. Because everybody can swim in the shallow end. 
and there will be another test. Oh, say, Lord, help my unbelief. Come on. Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Lord, help my unbelief. There will be another test. So when Jesus upbraided them, he was not doing that to be mean. I did not throw him in the deep end to be mean. I threw him in there to save his life. Y'all still here? I said, I put him in there to save his life, to let him know he don't know. How many think that's a great place of faith to know that you don't know? Finally know how much you don't know. I threw him in there. He don't know. Are y'all still here? And so when Jesus upbraided them, you ought to just thank him for that. Why? Because he's thinking about your future. I said he's thinking about your future. He knows the storms of life will come to all of us. He knows the devil's going to see to it that you go through situations that look impossible. So when he upbraids you over your unbelief, he's like a sergeant, come on, a lieutenant, somebody in the army that knows if you don't get your head down, it's going to get shot off. He said, that sergeant, he said, how come you don't ever write? No, you're not supposed to be friends with your sergeant. <laughs> he said, me and him buddies. No, you ain't going to be buddies. You're in the Marines. You will not be buddies. Why? Because it's his job to keep you alive. How many believe Jesus wants to keep you alive? I said, how many believe Jesus wants to keep you alive? How many know when he's upbraiding you? How many know when he's talking to you? Saying, you better quit thinking like that and acting like that and behaving that way or the devil's going to destroy your life. And God's got something for you that's beyond what you can ask or think if you will dare to believe God. Come on, I said, if you will dare to believe God. Come on, I said, if you will dare to believe God. If you will dare to believe God. Lord, Lord, I believe. Lord, I believe. I'm a believer. I'm not a doubter. Lord, I believe. Woo. Look at somebody and say, I'm in recurrent training right now. I'm getting, I'm, I'm getting instrument rated. Come on. I said, I'm getting instrument rated. Woo, come on. You said, I took that training before. Yeah, I'm taking it again. Hallelujah. A pilot, a pilot has a checklist. Checklist. Come on, you fly a little plane, you fly a big jet. They got a checklist. So one day I asked my pilot, I said, I said, you go over that every time? He said, every time. I said, why? He said, only a fool trusts his memory when his life is at stake. Come on, some of y'all quit going over the checklist. I said, some of y'all quit going over the checklist. You said, I think I remember it. No, you better write it down. Come on, get the word before your eyes. Come on and go over it again. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And you go over that checklist. Become instrument rated. 
Ha, ha, ha. And today, Gavin is a good swimmer.